to Untitled Book Group Podcast, the podcast, with uh, me, Asher, Taylor Klassen, Alejandro Valeriano, Jackie Gonzalez. The, the Asher's last name is Sevenson, by the way. <laughs> okay, we're reading um, You Don't Have to Say You Love Me by Sherman Alexi, which is a memoir um, focusing on him because it's a memoir, but also his relationship with his mother and the rest of his family on an Indian reservation and many other places. Cool. Great summary, thank you. Yeah, yes. thank you for that. Uh-huh. All right. The specific section that we're talking about, being the first section, is uh, um, it's, it's an introduction. Yeah, so this one, we really get to see that this is going to be a book that's not very much structured. It's all over the place, so it's not a typical story. It jumps around a lot with different places, as well as breaking into poetry and then from the literature. And then we also get to see um, Sherman, who is emotionally distant. And, well, we get to really get to see him develop in this chapter of being emotionally not very vulnerable yeah there's a few there's a few yeah. fights with his mom he cries a lot <laughs> very emotional at times but then he becomes emotionally numb as older compared to childhood and adult version of him it's real it's real great we also learn a bit about his mental illnesses and his struggles with that in his younger life um then we get introduced to his father who is a very quiet kind and unassuming underachieving drunk the mother was also an alcoholic but then she decides to go sober to help her family and she's pretty powerful and influential over all of them we're also introduced to a lot of racial issues and um uh different cultural beliefs on in and out of the reservation and his struggles with his life and the people around him at many points but specifically the beginning because it's the beginning of the book <laughs> cool. Yep. So. Okay, so the first thing that we're going to analyze, or at least attempt to analyze, is um, there is a quote in chapter 37, which is, um, his mother was a better mother to his siblings because they were better children. Um, so what do we think made them better children? I think maybe... Alexi is saying that because the other children maybe didn't struggle with as many mental illnesses as he did, they were just easier to raise, possibly. I think that it touches on the fact that they're so similar, like him and his mom are very similar and like they both were bipolar and it was, I think she herself could not accept herself yet and the fact that she had to deal with accepting someone else she probably wasn't at that um level of acceptance to like raise someone some very similar like her because throughout the book they have very similar traits and yeah i think that it was just more that they're so similar that how can i do this kind of thing i was also gonna say that was probably because they're like too similar and like constantly clashed because you know how Jackie said they were both bipolar and had their own issues, so they didn't know how to like work together on them. Um, I wonder if part of the reason why uh, his siblings were better children, or you know, air quotes, better children, was because maybe uh, 
Sherman was described as being very emotionally vulnerable. I wonder if them being less emotionally vulnerable helped raise them a lot, possibly. Um, do you think he would have been a better child if he hadn't gotten famous? Because it says in the book that he, uh, well, he yearned and spurned and never returned. He got famous and then he lost touch with his family really heavily. But do you think that made him a better, a worse child? I do think that it makes it more difficult when someone becomes famous and well-known to connect to your family just because, you know, you might be more busy, um, people are going to come up to you and recognize you but not your family, and maybe your family is going to experience jealousy because of that. I do agree, but he was also very, like, distant even before he got famous, so he was probably still going to be that way even if he didn't get famous. I agree with that because it was like before they were they didn't even have like a really good solid foundational relationship and then like leaving there was times when they wouldn't even where he wouldn't even talk to his mother for like years and it was just like I'm not gonna talk to her just because she won't start it and I won't start it like very much stubbornness seen between both of them so all right so how do you guys feel about the soda can scene <laughs> um, the soda can scene I don't remember it uh, perfectly Jackie you wanna yeah, so basically they were arguing and they both know how to push each other's buttons. So he called her an old hag anytime he ever it's mentioned an that. Bag. An old bag. Old bag. Yeah, yes. Old. <laughs> Whoops. Not even a hag. <laughs> Not even a hag. <laughs> Why an old bag? I don't know. <laughs> that just seemed to really push her over the edge, even more so than actually offensive mm -hmm. terms. Old bag just seemed to push her buttons more for whatever reason. I, I, wonder, I wonder if it was the old or the bag. <laughs> I mean, personally, I wouldn't prefer to be called an old bag. Oh, like, no, I'd love it. I'd really, that would be great. I don't think yeah, I, would, like, I would turn to violence via soda can. Yeah, she throws a soda can at him, and then he faints, and then yeah, he no attention is given out. to him after he wakes up. Yeah. He just goes to his room and it's just is like, yeah. He, he goes to sleep. You're not supposed to sleep after a concussion. He goes to sleep. He wakes up somehow. He was not in a coma, but... He got a nice breakfast. He got a nice breakfast from his mom, which is like, they're silent. I'm sorry. But you're like... It was like, uh, it was like a excuse my French, half-assed apology because she lays out breakfast for him, but she they never have a discussion about the soda scene. So it's like, she, in a way, she's saying she's sorry, but I mean, they obviously have trouble connecting otherwise, so this is her way of connecting without actually talking to him. Mm -hmm. Um... Uh, what do you think was accomplished by the argument? I mean, it's kind of a loaded question. Mm -hmm. uh, it seems like what was accomplished is uh, Sherman now knows that his mother would <laughs> concuss him, but... I think it just shows how much... Uh, I think he put this in because like it shows their miscommunication that's throughout the whole book, even starting from the beginning, and to also show like they just don't know how to... like connect and talk to one another and have that relationship that like normal mother and son would have like he's like yep this is this is my story first yeah, off yeah i like that a lot chapter five i didn't think about that but it is in fact a, a really good introduction to the their relationship with the rest of the book 
-hmm. It just starts, it, it just shows how dysfunctional they are from the get-go with violence and just misunderstanding. Drama. Uh, what do you guys want to analyze? Do we continue? Or what? We'll just, do you want to analyze three or four? Mm. Okay, so the third thing we were gonna, we are gonna analyze is there's a quote in chapter 22 talking about what they lose shows their wealth. So basically it's like, what what does that, so that culture defines what they lose as their wealth and what is, what do other cultures The culture being Native, oh, Native Americans, Americans, American Indians. Yes. So uh, I feel like they said what we lose is shows our wealth because like throughout their whole story and history, they have lost so much that it's just made them grow as a better and stronger person, I feel. So I don't really know. And also, like, what did they lose? Like The country? I meant the family. Oh, oh <laughs> yeah, you're right. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong, but you're also not quite right. <laughs> just, um... Yeah, they're, like, willing. They're, like, willing to give things up. Which I think like they're probably like used to and like that's just like custom to give things away and it shows them like not necessarily like higher power, it's just something that they're used to doing. Yeah. Um uh one of the, one of the questions that we have written down here is um what if if Native Americans are defined by what they lose, what are what are other cultures defined by? Like what what are your cultures defined by? Um uh I I don't know. I guess I can start with that. There's a uh, there's a there's an old or well not necessarily an old proverb, but like a, a thing that people say a lot at Jewish holidays, which is um, the reason for every Jewish holiday is they tried to kill us, we won, let's eat. Oh. So <laughs> there's that. There's that, okay. I would say in my culture and family, it'd be more like the further along each generation gets. Like, it's just like, you show your wealth by showing how far your family has come, I feel. Like, how your, how let's say my parents, they came here, and then me, I'm gonna go to college, and then my kids will probably get a better future. And it's just, I think that shows the wealth because you're also like, you're passing down the traits of like, certain things that like your culture has and it's more on the wealth as it continues so you're not really going to see the wealth yet if i explain myself right that's really interesting anybody else or no i don't know how my family defines wealth because we don't really f practice a specific religion or anything like that um but i would say that we really value trust in our family and that makes our i don't know we the more trust that we have in each other, the more we can achieve as a family. So I think in a way that's how we define wealth. Hmm. That's really interesting. I agree with Jackie. It's like about the future generations and what they're gonna accomplish and like making sure they're just be able to do everything that they want to. Yeah, and okay, so that segues us perfectly into how this how this part of the book segues, or I mean, how this part of the book is relevant to our own lives. Um, so a uh, question that I want to pitch first is, um, so throughout the book, Sherman, or it, and especially in this chapter, um, Sherman talks a lot about his relationship with his 
literal geography, so being on the reservation and what the reservation is near to, and yeah, it's actually near a uranium mine, and so everyone on the reservation kind of knows that they're eventually going to get cancer. And my question is, how has your geog how has the geography of your life affected your experiences or your health or your outlook? Um, they just checked in to see if we are uh, allowed to be here. Yep. Oh, I got the pass. <laughs> oh, good. Okay. Okay, she left. So, I would say that your surroundings really do develop you. Like, I have always been surrounded, surrounded by, like, my culture, being from Mexico, being from Mexican descent, it's just, I'm used to loud environments, very much yelling, even though it's not mostly negative yelling, it's mostly just like, you gotta be heard, kind of yelling. <laughs> so I'm used to that, which I am naturally loud at times, so I feel like that's an impact on me. I don't really know what other thing to look at. <laughs> um, what about, like, where you live, like, physically? Uh, well, I live on the east side and it's a really just uh urban uh before i lived in oxnard for nine years but even then it was a big house so i really felt lonely at times there even with my family it was just yeah i went from very like a big house to lonely like kind of felt like i was the only one in the house at times to like i'm not ever alone in my house now <laughs> so it was a very big shift but I think both really just help develop me too. Like I can spend time by myself and I can also be in a room full of people and be like fine with it both ways. Yeah, totally. Um, anyone else? Um, around, I think when I graduated sixth grade and started seventh grade was when I moved into the house that my mom grew up in and my Nana currently lives in. So it's a family, it's my family of five now me and my brother my mom my dad and my grandmother and I think that living with um, all three generations has kind of given me a bit of insight on other viewpoints other than my own as a 17 year old I also kind of get to hear from what maybe like the 50 60 year old ge geography people I don't know what they're saying and also what my 80 something year old grandma has to say about different topics and I think that kind of has helped me broaden my perspective on lots of different issues you got anything okay <laughs> oh. um, yeah um, I actually want to do number four because it's okay, really dark oh, okay. um, how okay this is yeah this is gonna this, this is gonna get this is gonna be quick. a little rough but how do you deal with the concept of your and your family's mortality um this book deals a lot with death and relation to death and knowing people who die how do you sort of come to terms with that stuff if you need a minute you that this is first? very um okay, i mean <laughs> what yeah, it's Talk just, it's that. an interesting concept to me. I, for me personally, I am very comforted by sort of nihilism. Uh, I'm very comforted by the idea that, like, nothing matters and, and you're just like a tiny person on the planet. And for some reason, that just, I don't know, that makes me feel a lot better about 
most things. Wow. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, I haven't really dealt with death in my family except for when I was younger when my grandma died but then it wasn't like I was old enough to have such a good relationship with her to feel it so I really felt like oh wow I should really feel something but I'm not feeling anything and I felt super guilty about it but it was like I hadn't made the connection that other people's had so I'm just like I really tried after that I was like okay I'm gonna appreciate more relationships even I never know what time can hold like I don't know anything could happen at any moment so that really made me value relationships more within my family Wow, yeah, that's, I like that a lot. Um, in my family, there is kind of a weird side debate that we don't talk about as a whole family. And it's, it's not the easiest topic, but because my Nana is not youthful, as old people tend to be, um, there is the aspect of what is going to happen to the house when she does pass away because it is her house, it's not my house, it's not my parents' house. Um, and the problem is my, my mom has three, has two other sisters, so they each have an equal share of the house. And the problem is that they all want to make money off of the house, but Okay, well, hold on. <laughs> Got some yelling from some... the other podcast people. <laughs> okay. Continue. And it's just, it's kind of become an uncomfortable topic in my extended family. And it's not brought up in group discussions, but it has kind of, this aspect of death has been kind of glazed over. And now it's more of um, a money issue. And it's kind of sad because it's created a lot of tension in the family and instead of like respecting my nana's life it's more like what's gonna happen when she dies less of like how much time can we spend with her before that happens so it's just a weird thing with my family <laughs> that's really profound yeah. Alejandro, you got anything yeah so my dad died when i was like six so it's not like i really remember who he was or like it's not necessarily that, but it's, like, been difficult. And, like, yeah, I've always known the concept of it since I, like, learned it at such a young age. So it's, like, not constantly brought up. But, like, yeah, you learn to appreciate people more because you don't know when they'll be gone. And, like, yeah, I just formed a lot, a, like, greater relationship with my mom and my brother. Yeah. Ah, thanks for sharing. And uh, on that very sad note... Um, it is a sad book Um, we're going to end the first episode thank you for listening and um, we're about to record the next one so (laughs)